Welcome to the LSI Behind the Wind podcast. My name is Sean Slatter, and for 30 years, I've dedicated my life to the science of business development. I've seen the impact of our work, which has evolved into economic development and now social impact. And on this episode, I'm so excited. I have asked Chuck Kunrat to join me again. Chuck and I talked early on in the in our podcast series, and it was one of the most downloaded podcasts to date. We have had significant interest and questions about our discussion, and uh, I think you're really going to enjoy this follow-on discussion that I've had with Chuck. Chuck is an amazing individual. He is the father of gamification. He led the game theory, which is now taught throughout so many management schools and Ivy League curricula, and he really has developed over the last 50 years a methodology and a concept that is so relevant today as we talk about working with a remote workforce and leading remote organizations through a virtual environment, his concept around game theory and gamification is extremely relevant. And I think you're really going to enjoy this. We also have done a lot of joint work together using the concept of scorekeeping tied to business development. And we even talk about this in our discussion, collaborating in the past and uh, potentially collaborating more in the future. So enjoy this discussion that I've had with Chuck, number two, second. uh, To date, he's the only guest that uh, we've had on this podcast twice, and he's an amazing individual that I think you'll really enjoy listening to this discussion. Let's just pick up where we left off, and that maybe just start with a quick summary. We did the whole history of the game of work, game theory, how it came about, but will you just summarize again, what is game theory, gamification, and how you have been bringing this to organizations for the last 50 years? Sure. I mean, you know, I'm, we've been uh, all this time on a contract basis, so I've been probably fired 6,000 times if I talked about all the things that, you know, all the deals that are finished. So, um, me too. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, uh, I think, I think we're not gonna, you know, and the other thing is I'm not, I'm not the youngest guy in the world. I'm at least a generation ahead of Sean. So most, there, there aren't a lot of people around to sue me. Long ago. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> I, think, I think we can have some, some good times, but I, uh, I want to come back to the, I want to come up back to what I would call a a major difference between the game of work and gamification as the gamers, if you will, have done. But the core principles, again, are the frequency that the feedback is more frequent in recreation than it is in work. 
Now, one of the problems that we have with the remote workforce or a hybrid workforce for that matter, is we've just exacerbated an age-old problem. And the age-old problem is you, you work for me 2,080 hours a year or 2,000, you know, an FTE, a full-time equivalent that we've all talked about, is 2,000 hours worth of work and production. And traditionally, organizations provide feedback in a formal 45-minute annual presentation and uh, you know which is a little bit like when your spouse asks you how you like dinner uh, you say well let's just put that together and have a little sit down on our anniversary and cover that you know i mean it may it is just obscene <laughs> and irrational and and so what we've missed as american leaders and managers is the appropriate frequency of feedback. And if we go to a golf course and play 36 holes, eight hours, you know, we're gonna get feedback somewhere between 144 and 210 or something, whatever, whatever the stroke count is. But we recreationally we get feedback every time we work, plan a ski pole make a turn, squeeze a trigger on a shotgun in a sporting clays course or out in the field hunting pheasants, play a card, uh, move a mahjong tile. It's all right there. And what has happened with the advent of electronics and screens and iPhones and all that sort of stuff, Somebody sent me something the other day and said, I'm watching a three-year-old download apps on a smartphone, and I just figured out how to turn it off without taking the battery out. So, <laughs> you know, I didn't think there was any reason for me to have an iPhone 13 Pro until two of my grandchildren showed up with them at, a, at Christmas. I'm going, how can you have phone envy with a 12-year-old? I mean, what what is the... <laughs> But what, but what has happened, and we all see this, is that you're having a, a dinner with your family and somebody says, what was that thing about, this just happened, what was that thing about the elephants in China that went off on some rogue trek? And you know, before anybody starts to evidence an opinion, somebody's got a phone out Googling China rogue elephant trip. You know, and so we have the whole thing. Now, when I was a kid years ago, that sort of thing would be met by go look it up in your Funkin' Wagnalls or your Encyclopedia Britannica. Well, you just, you talk about encyclopedias today and people go, oh, what, 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 let me, tell me again. There are 16 volumes, they took three feet of space and, and then they sent you an update annually why wouldn't they just update it contemporaneously you know <laughs> so this workforce that we have today is being separated from if you will the umbilical cord of the organization that provides this feedback and this and this nutrition now the, at the base of all of this that i've come to realize and you know wouldn't said it's what you learn after you know it all 
that I've come to a realization is, is at the core of this is appreciation. And what happens is, is if in, in organizations, when you're walking down the hall and you pop your head in and somebody says, hey, we just got a new deal. Hey, we just finished something. You know, you have the opportunity as a leader to number one, say thank you, to give them feedback at an appropriate level. All of that works. Well, now the spontaneity of that is fundamentally gone because of this hybrid workforce, you know? And so even if you've got people on a two day, three day split or a one day, four day split, whatever it is, you know, in order to have that same spontaneity, you have to somehow orchestrate the leader and the leadee and the event and the right time of day. You know, and again, we're getting into this just bizarre, bizarrely improbable numerics. It just, you know, you're you're looking for a, I don't know, you're looking for a meteor shower at the right time. It doesn't, and all the meteor showers in the daytime don't get paid, don't get credit for it, and that kind of thing. So so feedback becomes the cornerstone of, of the game of work. And that's the human element that makes sense. Now we drive the feedback with a series of scorecards that allow the coach and the player to agree on the frequency and the quality and the type of feedback that's appropriate. So that's the, re the, the reason for the scorecard. The, the whole core, though, is that if you watch, and this is maybe the dangerous part of gaming, not in the business, but in gaming, if you get shot, you hit reset. And so you have this non-parallel life-threatening option. You know, there's no, there's no, I wound up doing a bad job. I got fired. Where's the reset button? You know, right. when do I come back? Is this like a week off and then you want me on Monday? No, you're fired. Well, what does that mean? Yeah. Well, I was talking, to, so, so this absence of consequence, there's no real, I mean, I had seven of my grandchildren in, in a house in Florida that we rented for Christmas. And you know, periodically they're playing a game called Minecraft, which you can play back, you can play on each other's boards. And periodically we would have this death curdling shrill come out of one of the kids and you go, what happened? Well, Jackson destroyed my house. <laughs> and for and for this, you want to hang him up by his heels and beat him with a stick like a man? I'm going, I don't get it. But, but that's the magnet. That's this arena that our young people in the workforce come out of. You know, is, is, is reset. Maybe a disproportionate amount of consequence versus action. This idea you can just scrub your failure yeah i've not found that to work too well uh but it's that it's that providing the feedback so now the surveys that are that are being done about hybrid workforces are saying that you need to be at a double or triple volume 
of your outreach and connection. So, you know, you've got 50 people in a, in a team or a group and almost all of what they do is remote and the majority of meetings end by pressing that little red thing down in the lower right-hand corner. You know, right. so, so we don't, we don't necessarily debrief as we need to. One of the things that this, is the Israelis created and we adopted is this concept of an after action report uh, militarily. Yep. We don't do a very good job of that uh, in the meeting because people are in and out and paying attention and not paying attention. So we've lost this touch. And we talked last time about Faith Popcorn and the Popcorn Report and Faith, I'm going to say two decades ago, Sean, identified this idea that in high tech, you need to have high touch. So the scorecard, the dashboard that we're getting really, really good at creating, but not really, really good at using <laughs> is not a substitute for the connectivity to the leader. So let me pull on that thread for a minute. If sure. you are a leader now, like, it has happened in the last two years and you have responsibility for an organization that is all virtual. Mm -hmm. How would you implement just you, how would you implement this constant feedback appreciation and then introduce the scorecard concept to your team so that they don't feel like they're being micromanaged? Well, and, and that, going back to what I said a minute ago about uh, scoreboards and that stuff, we do this thing called the leader board, which is yeah. ranking the guy at the top, the gal next, uh, the, the, yeah. which by and large disenfranchises 80% of the names on the sheet. I agree. One. Its origin, I believe, was in the used car business. So that you fired the guy or the gal that was at the bottom of the list. You know, I mean, it just it's Neanderthal at Glenn, best. Glenn I, Gary, Glenn Ross. It, it's yeah. that movie that you, you first you get a new car, second you get knives, right? And yeah. then everybody else is fired. Yeah. So, so I mean, you know, it's just it, it again is the implementation. So if the leaderboard and you drew it out. It would be this 80-20 curve mathematicians call an asymptote, which you have to enunciate very clearly in, in polite conversation. But when you look at that, you really need to be recognizing the amount of progress that each individual makes up rather than knocking some plain king of the mountain. Okay? So again, that's another miss between game of work and current gamification. So I hate leaderboards. I think you have to make sure that you're celebrating individual performance. Now, a leaderboard looks for a single winner. Game of work looks to maximize the number of winners. So you asked a good question. You want to, the scorecard has tradition, traditionally been catching people doing it wrong. So we measure errors, we measure accidents. And we measure stuff that not only did we not want repeated, we never wanted it to happen in the first place. So you can get more attention 
having an industrial accident than you can doing a good job for 2000 hours. That's right. Bad, bad promise. So the key, the key is to recognize the scorecard of the things that are most important for that position to do. Then in sport, this is why I like, which I love, you know, to deal with from the sports analogy standpoint. But if you look at Donovan Mitchell with the Utah Jazz, okay, we want points, we want assists, we want steals, uh, we want an absence of turnovers, and you know, but everything about that is driven to what we pay Donovan to do. You know, we don't go back and say, well, he makes most of his shots. So why don't we make it easy and count the shots he missed? Because there's fewer of those. You laugh and I laugh, but we actually did a major company that I really can't identify, Lauren. But we did a major company who tried to steal a game of work. And we really went, we're on the verge of going to court. But what they wanted to do, what they had done in this corporate overview is they had picked out all the negatives, missed deliveries, missed stops, missed, et cetera. And then they called up and said, we don't understand why this isn't working. (laughs) Yeah, right. Okay. I mean, it looked just like your stuff, Chuck. Let me get a copy of that because I think the the attorney wants to hear that from you. Um, So so you have to, you know, I, I quipped one time I was sitting on a board at Westminster about how to enhance their MBA program. And I said, just, just two requirements. I said, number one, you need to give each one of these candidates a puppy and they need to train the puppy because they will learn more about dealing with people training the puppy than in any of these classes. That almost got me thrown out. The second thing you need to do is you need to have each one of these candidates send home an employee for a personal hygiene problem because, (laughs) because who you are as a manager is more defined in that moment than anything else that happens during the day. Uh, So that's right. You know, we just, we just, I guess if you wanted to scream, we just need to get real. We just need to look at what works. So, you, you know, you could put you put 80,000 people in an NFL or a college stadium on a weekend at a football game, um, many of them spending a disproportionate amount of their income right. to be there and support that team. And, you know, which was so tragic about the Bulls being canceled is that you got these people from North Carolina came, you know, all the way to San Diego. And then get didn't happen. Didn't happen. So you say, well, why are they there? Well, they're there because that feedback of, you know, they're living vicariously through their team, which is appropriate. And that activity that they're celebrating or or chagrining or shouting or booing or whatever is very right on time. So we need as leaders. We need as leaders to be able to say to those individuals, these are the most important things you're doing. The reason I want you to keep track is because I want to be able to deliver appropriate feedback. Now, if I have a scorekeeping system or a leaderboard or any 
other metric and I'm not coaching off of it. And as one of our, one of our company presidents said many years ago, but I've never forgotten it. She said, you know, a scorecard is just an excuse to have a conversation. That's you know, so great. That's brilliant. So great. It's yeah. brilliant. So if, <clears throat> if I can, if I can identify what a fair day's work is and what a fair day's pay is. Now we've been like humongous research on the fair day's pay. In fact, you know, we have these Lake Wobegon surveys to uh, measure what average people are in your industry or somebody else. And then we got to make sure like Lake Wobegon that everybody's above average. So, <laughs> so we're, we're all over that. And, you know, the people in Washington are worried about a fair, worried about the minimum wage. Well, restaurants are paying 20 bucks an hour. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And they're going, we got to do something about the 750. Well, that's right. We did a great job of that by paying people to stay home. So that's right. You know, all of this sort of works together. But the point is, is that when you're in a labor crunch like we are, especially in the state of Utah, we're like less than 2%. Right. They're trying to figure out a new thing to call that, you know, because it's technically full employment. It's negative employment, negative yeah. unemployment. <laughs> yeah, there's a phrase you never thought you'd hear yourself say. As an economist, yeah. negative unemployment. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, I'm glad we worked on that. And I clearly lost my train of thought. But... <laughs> But the point is that when you're in that kind of a labor market, yeah, you can price yourself in getting that to happen. But the $20 an hour results in the Big Mac now being $650 and not $475. That's right. Or however that, that math works out. So you can try to price yourself to get whatever labor is available, which if you're chasing a rare resource. But at some point in time, 20 bucks an hour at McDonald's, Wendy's, Arby's, Del Taco, you need a differentiation. And, That's right. And the only differentiation that there really is, is how am I treated? So That's right. Exactly. So the, the key is today, always has been, time immemorial, I think, is that the way people feel about an organization is primarily dictated by the way they feel about the person they work for, the person we call a coach. And you, you can look in sport, you can look in competitive sport, you can look in the NFL, you can look at college basketball, men's or women's, and you, you find the coaches, you find the Pat from Tennessee. What was her name? Tragically lost her. Pat Summers, Pat, anyway. But you find that person, you find the John Woodens, you find the people that those that literally those players would would follow, you know, through hell and, and come out the other side. You look at the miracle on ice and the example that Herb Brooks was, you know, just it's a great story. Yeah. And that's what you want to emulate. If you're looking for anything that's in the that's in the realm of rightness and what do I borrow and what do I emulate that's the kind of stuff you look for is how do i become no her name's pat sumption how do i come to pat sumption the the nick saban uh, john wooden uh, 
the Coach K at Duke basketball so that you have people that have that, that you're really focused as a servant leader, which I think is core, is a companion book to the game of work. Because if you're, if you're making it important for your people, if you're helping them win, if you're helping them get where they want to go, Zig Ziglar said, you can have anything you want as long as you get enough other people what they want. Exactly. So. Well, let me tell you two funny stories that came out of our first discussion. The first one was we had this amazing, young, high potential member of our team that walked into my office after listening to our previous discussion. And she said to me, I just want to assure you that I'm not a millennial. I'm I'm a Gen Z. I'm a what? A Gen Gen Z. Yeah. Gen Z. I'm not a millennial. I'm a Gen Z. I love that. I thought that was awesome. The second story was from some feedback that I received from one of our clients. I went out and saw one of our clients who listened to our discussion and he said to me, you having this discussion with Chuck was so important and it could not have come at a better time for me. He said, I was having such a problem with dealing with my younger millennials and listening to Chuck talk about it's every generation has had this. Sure. You just need to you just need to know this is what works. This is how you leverage the talents of this group and they're going to do amazing things. And he said it's changed my entire attitude and how I approach my team. He said that he had had a meeting with his HR director and this this is where I was going with this prior to our discussion, he'd had this meeting with his HR director and said, we are never going to hire another millennial ever, not ever. (laughs) And his HR director said, "Uh, you can't say that. And um, and he said, I was just down. I was down on this millennial generation that he called it. I was down on the work from home remote workforce. He said, this discussion that you had with Chuck changed my thinking and changed my attitude. He said, I'm excited now. I'm excited to connect with my millennials, to connect with my uh, remote workers, my work from home workers, because I'm thinking about it differently. So I, I just wanted to share those two stories with you because I thought I thought both of them were fascinating. Well, here's, you know, the first one, I, just as I'm thinking about it, summarizes something we maybe don't talk about very often, but nobody likes to be grouped. Yes, I mean, exactly. What, what that young lady was saying to you is I'm me, okay? I might do something that looks like a millennial, but I'm, I'm me. That's right. And don't put me in that bucket. No, no, because, you know, I have, as a millennial, I would have friends that are absolutely millennials. You know, all the 
but none of us that's that's prejudice and and none of us really wants to be the victim right of prejudice and so what we want to do is to really create this one-on-one dialogue between a coach and a player and one of the first things that organizations need to do is to have less big zoom meetings i agree absolutely yeah and this idea when i say are you coaching your people and somebody says yeah we have a staff meeting every tuesday you know how many people are there well 12 to 30 you know Uh uh-huh and and how many people talk at at a time uh one okay and that's usually you yeah and (laughs) you say well you know how how does that really get the answers if you look at in an NFL team, and you look at the relationship between the number of players they have and the number of coaches they have, it's like nuts. I mean, it's like one three to one. You know, there's a coach for every three people. That's you right. get 17 coaches in a 52-person roster. And that tells you something because it says that I've got in the, now they do it because of easily identifiable individual skill positions that you want somebody to work with. So you got so but there's a lesson there and when you talk about i don't want this to be just all big guys competing for a football but when you talk about the phrase that is often used with coaches is he's a, he's a quarterback whisperer okay and that he is able to work that position well that's a one-on-one deal yeah that's right and that's exactly right you know you if you look at even from a religious standpoint for the last 2000 years, it's kind of a one-on-one deal. Absolutely. And you can, you know, you can get a mega church with 7,500 people coming to attend and get a message, or you can have hundreds of thousands of people, I guess, watching televangelism and, and get the message. But when you start to work on conversion and behavior change, and service to mankind and do that sort of thing. That's been a one-on-one deal for 20 centuries. I love that. I've got a uh, close friend who has a consulting company that's smaller than ours, but uh, he and I have collaborated over the years and it's been a 10 year more, I guess, dialogue between us as two CEOs where we're sharing best practices, what's working, what's not. And it's been, I really have appreciated that. It's really been beneficial to me to, to bounce ideas off of him and, and he has reciprocated over the years. And one of the things that I talked to him about last year in the sending everybody home, you know, we sent whatever it was, 1800 people home and trying to run the enterprise from a cave. <laughs> and he, he said, here's what we decided. We, we decided we were going to put three senior leaders on six of our employees. And they would check in with each of our individually, these leaders would check in with each individual employee three times a day every they would do a a 15 minute meeting in the morning 
a 15-minute meeting uh, midday and a 15-minute meeting at the end of the day to determine how are things going, what do they need, do they have questions, what progress had they made since their last call. <laughs> and I said, whoa, that is unbelievable that you're, you're putting that kind of, those resources and that dedication by individual. Mm -hmm. And he said, here's what we found. He said, we found our accountability went up, our efficiency dramatically improved. He said, what used, tasks that used to take a week were being done now in a day. He said, we quickly recognized who was committed and who wasn't. And your recommendations around this one-on-one -on -one interface by individual, you're not a number, you know, just a payroll number. You, you are a member of this team. You were hired to be successful and provide that kind of appreciation is is really the essence of leadership. Mm -hmm. I, I want to shift gears for a second, if we could, Chuck. Oh. We've talked about being a leader in the concept of gamification, game of work. You know, what do you do with this organization? What do you tell individuals who are the members of the team, the, the individual members of the team. How do you manage yourself as a member of the team under this concept of the game of work? I mean, because the majority of the individuals listening to this discussion between us are, are going to say, yeah, this is, I wish I had this. I wish I had my, I wish I had that kind of constant feedback from my leadership. I wish I had scorecards that I could determine what's going well, what's not, we're tracking progress. I wish I had this infrastructure in place. I'm in the organization. I don't have that. I'm never going to have that. If you're an individual trying to be successful in your work, in your delivery, what advice do you have for the individual to utilize your game theory to make your career successful? Not to be clip, but do it. You know, everything you just said is a popular attitude for people that are, let's say, in the bowels of the organ, in the bowels of the beast. But some of the greatest stories that I would share with you have not been top down in this thing, but they've been bottom up. So right. we had a bank in Ogden, Utah, and we had the assistant to the president in the room. Now she, she doesn't have, and by the way, in all declaration, the game of work works everywhere except with personal assistance. Now we got, now we got Lauren choking on her Coke. It just, that is such, and the other place it doesn't work is in emergency rooms. We, I found that out. That's a long story, but, but so this 
let me just stop you. What? Why? Why do you say it doesn't work with personal assistance? Well, because the right kind of relationship is acting on behalf of the executive. Yep. Okay. And that is is more magical. <laughs> that it's more art than science. Oh, uh, we did spend some time saying my executive assistant this is terribly telling but i go out one day and she's got this scorecard up and it's a line graph and it's i mean it's just pristine game of work quality i said nancy what is that she goes that's the mean days between mean days <laughs> I said, and and Oh, Nancy is Nancy was with me for like, I don't know, 15 years. I remember. I remember she was just and just impeccable over the top. Couldn't have had a better deal. Okay. So what is tell me more? She goes, well, that's the number of days that goes before you get mean. And or I leave something undone or, you know, but we always talk about the mean days between sales, the mean days between new contracts. And so she took that scorecard and made it the mean days between <laughs> not, not my, not my proudest story, but. Uh, I have a similar story. I came into work one day and my assistant had taped to my desk, a little cartoon in the first block, it was this boss just, you know, yelling at his assistant. In the next block, the assistant was yelling back and she had this caption under it that said, you know, I can't read your mind. And the third block was the boss yelling back at her, you could at least try. <laughs> I, <laughs> and let me just tell you, I have got the world's greatest assistant. Summer is, I'm, I am so ama- amazingly fortunate to be working with Summer because she is, she runs the organization and she's incredible. And so I was so interested to hear you say, yeah, this does, this concept doesn't work with executive assistants because actually I think that we have been, Summer and I have been working a version of scorekeeping and the and the whole the entire game of work concept for years now where we never let a day go by where we don't connect talk about what happened what didn't happen what went well what didn't go well and anything else that needs to, it has been going on for for years and it's it's incredible and i just I could not do what I do without Summer. She is uh, this uh, amazing individual that is uh, how I found her. I don't know, but well, so sorry to, to, to spend to, a minute to with that though, Sean. What it really says is that is that Summer has adopted your goals. Yes, she and she's adopted your scorecards, and she she's committed to supporting your scorecards. And, and that's, that's the conversation that we usually have with executives and executive assistants. Is, it's amazing. Is if you can't break out, and this is a game work principle, if you can't break out the individual's contribution, 
then you have to meld the individual to the outcome of the group he or she is part of. Absolutely. So. And for her to understand vision and corporate objectives and then m migrate that to, to close is just, it's, it's remarkable to see that happen. And it's, you're right, it's, it, it is incredible. So if you're a oh, member wait, of the let, team, let's yeah. go back to the to the individual yeah. yes. and the application. And so it you know it's really easy, especially if you were raised by a helicopter parent, you know, who brought you a pencil if you missed it in the third grade. It's really easy to express abdication and frustration as you just did not about summer, but in our previous conversation about I'm in the middle, I'm in the bowels of the beast. What can I do? Right. So we're, we're at the bank and Connie, I'll never forget this. She said, she came in first off. It was, I only have the receptionist of reports to me. She just answers the phone. Now, first off, anytime you hear the word just or only, it's going to change the sign of what comes next. So, so there's another principle for, it. but so I said, well, how does she make a difference? And this, this is the key, but the magic question really is, as you have a dialogue between a coach and a player, or in this instance, between me and myself, the question is this, what is it that you or I as an individual get done that's extremely valuable to the organization that is not being recognized and rewarded. That's, you know, that's, a, that's a bunch of words. And the first time that question is asked, even if I'm asking myself, I kind of respond with a deer in the headlight looks because nobody ever asked me that before. And if you ask people to tell you about their job, they will have a tendency to tell you what they do, not what they get done. Yes. So I'm saying, all right, consider yourself. You're down, down in the bowels of the beast. You have assignments, stuff comes to you. You do, you have inputs, you have outputs. What's the difference you make? Okay, now, that won't be an easy apparent answer. And sometimes we spend a lot of time in an engagement working through that. But if you stick with it, say, no, I, I really want to know what it is that you do that contributes. Da, da, da. And I want to know that as a leader so I can recognize it. Okay. Makes perfect sense. Now, as an individual, I want to know that for me. That's right. And we find all the time as we go through organizations we find what people often call closet scorekeepers. And these are people that have, have figured out how they go home at the end of the day feeling okay about what they got done, regardless of what they're asked to do. Or it, do they get feedback or were they recognized or were they paid for, to do that? Yeah, yeah. But people who literally have created a scorecard and that's why i'm saying anybody can start doing this you can you can practice the game of work tomorrow wherever you are yeah okay so it's it's what's the win now 
once I do that, I begin to get the ability to differentiate between a good day and a bad day. Yes. Most of us would rather have more good days. So if I can deal with that and I can create a, what we call a results to resources ratio or a per like yards per game or points per game or whatever it is. But if I can create that for, for me, then I've got a hand up. That's right. And because I operate on the premise that I'm leasing my body to the company, I didn't sell it. They don't own it. I'm leasing it to them. I may have to go find a new lessor in the future that's more appreciative. But think about being in an interview now with me coming in and you say, well, tell me about what you've done, where you are and everything else. And I start showing you scorecards about the three most important things that I got paid for and how well I improved it. And the reason I'm here is because they don't, they didn't give me appropriate feedback and appreciate me. And all I really would like to do, Mr. Slatter, is understand what it is that you want done and we'll take this approach. You know, well, most of us would get out of our chair and say, why don't you come sit here and I'll just work, I'll work for you. Exactly. So, so that's what I would say to people that are, that are in an organization is recognize that you are an entrepreneur. You know, we can go spend some time on that. But yeah. you, that's really what you are. You've, you've leased your skill and expertise to LSI, to Game of Work, to the federal government. For, uh, you've leased your talent and skills. Well... If you're going to do that, you're going to market your talents and skills internally and externally. And what better way to do that than to be maximally accountable? And by the way, if nobody notices, you still get a chance to walk out at the end of the day knowing whether you won or lost. That's right. And I think there's a lot of that that's going on in organizations where you've got individuals working for a leader who is of this mindset. I grew up in an organization. I got yelled at every day. I didn't cry. I never got a single thank you for 20 years of hard work. They're now working with these younger generations who they don't, there is not communication. They don't operate that same way. And I think having the individual recognize that, okay, I'm part of this organization. I have a boss who is horrible. I'm either going to make my career fantastic and meaningful and have an impact because it's the right thing, or I'm going to find something else to do. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, and and I mean, let's let's be real candid here. Here's the elephant in the room relative to this coming back to work is that most of those COOs that are in their 50s and 60s yep. are scared to death that they're not getting a full day's work and that those people that they're That's paying right. are sitting home playing video games. All right. It's exactly right. Okay. So 1970. Four or five, I have the epiphany on the game of work. All right. And now you have a situation where I'm afraid they're playing video games where they get frequent feedback, 
clear goals, good coaching, you know, improvement basis, or or I'm working for you, Pinhead, and and you don't care who I am. Right. Okay. So here we have problem, definition, and solution all in the same issue. Let me tell you the story uh, quickly about what Connie did, because it, it's amazing. So she goes to the receptionist and she said, how can you make a difference? And this was in the days, this was years ago, when you didn't have, you weren't banking on your phone, you had to call to get your balance. And so the majority of phone traffic into the bank is, can I get my balance? And yep. You send them to the balance, people make them back. Well, and I forget the receptionist name, and that's tragic, but she said she just decided to see if she could be more engaging. So she said to the caller, as every chance she got, what else can I do for you? Simple deal. What else can I do for you? And then she started tracking the number of times she asked that per the total number of calls. So she's got a scorecard. Then she starts, the next step is how many of the people she asked actually stopped long enough and thought about it and said, well, I need a car loan or any, so she's got that number. Now she's got two scorecards. Then she asked the loan officers to give her feedback on how many of those people that she sent over actually resulted in a transaction. So now we've got somebody in an organization who is, lower quartile, maybe lower percentile in terms of compensation, having a way to win on three important things that she can do to build the business in the bank. And I think at one point in time, she even started to aggregate the total amount of stuff that she was the trigger on. So I how, how does that. that change? How does that change her perception of oh, just answer the phone? Well, and I, it, it uh, this will help me transition into th this next question that I have for you. But before I do, we worked an engagement with a Fortune 500 company that I thought was one of the most insightful uh, leadership decisions and strategies I've seen in my 30-year career. And that was this senior executive of this multi-billion dollar organization said the primary interface with our customers is not our salespeople, it's our delivery people. And they need to understand how to interface with the customer when they have an issue, when they have a need, and they had us build a process for them around acquiring new business for a non-sales individual. And we delivered that to 4,000 individuals in the organization. I thought it was brilliant. Exactly what you said with this receptionist who was having the primary interface with the company's customers and making a difference, maybe millions of dollars of revenue through her attitude, 
her, through her interest in their needs and, and, and fulfilling that. I just, I, I love it. So that leads me into this final th- thread that I want to bring up with you. And that is you have worked with a lot of business development organizations. A lot of your work, I know, has been around sales and business development. We've talked generally about organizations, about being a leader, about being an individual. When you have been brought into uh, organizations who have said, we want you to take your concept and help our business development organization become successful, transition out of the Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross mentality to something that is really functional, where do you start? Well, we try to work out of a, an inverted triangle. I can't even do that on the screen, but in one of those upper corners is the player, whatever that might be, sales rep, inside sales, et cetera. In the other corner is the coach or the leader and they're in that triangle for these two reasons. Number one, the player has the best view of the job. I think it was Drucker that said that we'll make more headway in productivity the minute we recognize that the person doing the job knows more about it than the person supervising it. So, so no kidding. Yeah. You know, so you get that individual, then you get the leader or the coach because he or she knows what they're being held accountable for. So we've got job familiarity and responsibility for results in that category. And on the bottom is the game of work. It's either a game of work facilitator or it's reading uh, the criteria for a scorecard in game of work or in scorekeeping for success which is really the how-to manual and starting to put that together. But that's what you do in any organization, any relationship. So, you know, there's the old life insurance premise that if you make 75 calls a day, something good will happen. Fine. And we probably burn through more people in that industry than, than any other. But if you start to say, okay, what are the triggers? in that sales funnel and how do I find out? Well, I've got to get, first off, I do need some calls per day because I need a raw material thing to start from. And that might be one. I mean, if you're working on some of the stuff that LSI works on, you know, you're on the whole other end from the fuller brush guy who's knocking on doors, you know, and who gets feedback every door. You've got long-term projects, major stuff, goofy bidding procedures and all of that to go through. So whatever that is, that's fine. But the key is, is that you start from what is the closing ratio? And then you go back to what are the closing opportunities? And what do I have to do just before I do that? So there's a chapter and I think it's managing the obvious where I, where I wrote yeah. what happens just before. And you know, you don't, you don't run out of cash without something happening just before, which is poor collection procedure. And you don't get poor 
until you got the invoicing right. So you sort of start with that result and then say, what is the next level of resources that I need to get that done? And as I start to build that back, then I get to the point where I'm in control of the input and then the rest of it is starting to manage the efficiency. So if I have somebody in the team that can set up a closing opportunity for every five prime buying motive discovery meetings, we used to call them because we want to be very specific. If you get somebody does one in five and somebody else that does one in three, then let's go learn from what's happening in the business. You know, and this is not just taking a leaderboard and ranking. That's right. Ultimate results. It's getting down into really getting down into the technology of the business. And, you know, there's a book called Moneyball that was written about, uh, what's that guy's name? Billy. Anyway, it was with the Oakland Athletics. And he essentially went out and said, there's a different way to matter, to measure this game. There's a different way to understand what the inputs are in the game. So, so you can tell Summer that we're just about done. Okay. I've got, and I think you're exactly right. It's uh, even some basic metrics, Chuck. When I talk to large, mature Fortune 500 companies, and I'll say, what's your win rate? They have no idea. Even I'll, I'll even say, what's your objective for capture this year? They, they don't know. Let's start there. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's start with something that basic. What is your capture objective this year? What is your win rate? Most organizations have no clue. And that is why they are surprised at the end of the year. Oh my goodness, we didn't, we didn't win anything. This, yeah. we're, we went backwards. Okay, one final, one final question I have for oh. you. Um, and let me set you up a little bit, Chuck. A few years ago, I read this, this large book on Frank Lloyd Wright, who I had really admired. And he's got this incredible background, as you, as you know, and became one of the most famous architects of all time. And what most people don't realize is that the majority of his work was done in his 70s and 80s, that he really felt like he did not achieve this maturity until he was in his 70s and, and, and even into his 80s. He was still doing some of his best work well into his 80s. And, and the story is that he builds this institute in the desert of Arizona, Taliesin West, and he's got all of these kids that come and live on this compound and learn from him. And when most people are either, at that time, most people were dead. They, most people didn't live into their 80s. And here he is cultivating this life's, his life's work and he created this next generation of amazing artists. And one of the things that you had, had said to me was that you were thinking about, although you, you had retired some time ago, you were thinking about, well, I'm gonna, maybe there is some relevance and that I'm, 
in, in, in this work today and that you, you were going to, you had some ideas for new projects. Tell me more about that. Well, you always want to have, as Clayton Christensen says, how do you measure your life? You want to have that contribution role beyond where you are. You know, you like to say, well, we've discovered, we've discovered these things inside people. You know, people go, how did you ever think about the game? How did you ever write the book? Then I have a whole other slew of people who say, that book is so simple, I could have written it. And I've almost, I've almost no lost my tongue biting on it from not saying, yeah, but you didn't. So but you didn't. Let's, let's go beyond that. We hear that as well. Yeah. So, so I think it would be amazing if there's a way for us to figure out without my having, I mean, I don't want to do what I did before individually, right. but it is a nice concept. And the fact that we're recording these and sharing them with people are nice. Also, maybe my grandchildren will go, well, what did that old grump do to make, to make this trip possible? But, you know, one of the things I thought about is that it would be appropriate to keep doing what we're doing to the extent that it meets your schedule, but then, but then also ask or solicit from the people who view each one of these, what their questions are. I would love that. And maybe we just answer those questions next time around. But then in an offline conversation, Sean, I think there's a, I think there's maybe an organizational opportunity for us that allows this concept to go forward with the power of LSI as, as its engine, letting me be the keeper of the flame, so to speak, in terms of, of core philosophy. That would be a wonderful conversation to have. I look forward to that, Chuck. What do you think about individually and what's on your scorecard now? Well, let me say this. Most people ask you, what do you, what do you like most about retirement, even if it's semi-retirement? And my answer has been for the last 10 years that I don't have any have-tos on my to-do list. You know, I don't, now I don't have to plow the snow, uh, <laughs> but, but it's, and you will relate to this, but you know, when you sit where you are, or when I sat in that chair, you know, and you start to worry about 1,800 mortgage payments and 18, and then each one of them has three kids. So now you got 540 children. You have to worry about going to college and not getting screwed up. And I don't have that anymore. <laughs> and so, you know, it's interesting as we come around to the 2022 New Year's resolutions and the rest of that, now that we've sort of got the house thing sorted out, I really need to take another look at that. But, but I would say right now, for me mostly is, is enjoying the time because, you know, as the further you get from the beginning, the closer you are to the end. And uh, uh, I have 4 million Delta miles. I realize that's, uh, you know, and people, people go, Ooh, ah, wow. And I go, nope. Hard, hard test of a misspent life right there. You just look at that right. thing and go, I agree. Whoops. Um, I say the same thing. Yeah. So I want to, you know, I want to try to not overdo that, but to enjoy the fruits of labor and have 
like we did at Christmas time with the kids and the grandkids and do those kinds of things. And then, of course, I have to get a certain number of ski days in a year. So. Well, when are we going to ski? <laughs> that's, that, well, that's that's where this discussion needs to no happen no, is on the mountain. Yep, no question about it. And I went out Monday. And uh, as you know, I'm struggling with a little back issue. Yep. And um, I got in my clothes and my boots on the hill, out of my clothes, out of my boots. And, and so we've, the building block for our ski day has been established. Now, tomorrow, I have a board of directors that I'm supposed to ski with. And that's going to be an interesting political conversation when I'm going, no, no, green runs are just fine for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, you guys get in that bump field over there. I'll see you at the chair. Right. But we're going to do that soon. But I, I love it. You know, this is this is terrific. It's very it's been very stimulating for me. And I think if if we get people to submit some questions, you know, we start looking at how can we do the most. But I think we should do this. I think we should do this regularly. I love that. Until we figure out a way to turn it into a service deliverable. And I love it. And we'll do that at the appropriate time. Chuck, thank you so much. I admire what you're doing. And this work, your work is timeless. That's that's what I think is you you talked about Peter Drucker and you know some some of your Zig Ziglar, some of your your mentors. you you have developed this work that is really it's it's timeless. And even though the concept you developed 50 years ago could it could not be more relevant today than it was in the early 1970s when when you thought of this and uh, I, I really admire that uh, you've made you your writing is timeless your the concept is still going to be relevant in another 50 years and that is your legacy, Chuck. That is, that's incredible. And I, like I said, I really admire what you've done and, and your work. And thanks for, for doing this with me again. I look forward to our, our time on the Hill together and our next discussion. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now I'll, here's my largest problem. Okay. Is the, uh, the idols that have clay feet. So we used to have an OJ Simpson story in the game of work and it was a great story now he has to come out okay then i thought pete rose was an example now he's out of the book okay and you know what my latest problem is if you look on the cover of the better people leader it says forward by the former national championship coach urban meyer so we'll be printing some more of those books sans the cover so but yeah, I, you know, it, it, it's just like, and as I said earlier, the servant leadership is a, is a companion book. It really is. And where we've had servant leaders, the game of work has just been, you know, knock your socks off. Exactly. Where you have a leader who doesn't capture that vision, it kind of turns into that micromanagement thing. And so we've always said in the beginning, that there are some business, there are some contracts we won't take after we've had a, an initial assessment, 
and that doesn't happen very often. And people say, well, how, how many times is, does it happen? And I said, well, let me tell you more about the times it should have happened should have, and right. didn't <laughs> and, and wound up swimming upstream. So um, yeah, let's, let's, let's keep doing this. But I think if we, uh, if the audience wants to give us some, uh, some questions, we can improvise and see how we can help them connect. Because what happens too often is, and you said it during this, the show, Sean, is that people say, I really love that concept. I just, I just don't see how it applies here. And, and one of the things I've learned about the game of work over 40 plus years is that everybody knows that the game of work will work any place else. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. So, so the Coke guys go, well, if we were a consulting company, we'd say, oh, that, but we're just Coke, you know, and the hamburger guys go, we're not bottling stuff. And so, so if we can do anything exactly. to help people bridge that gap between desire and, and belief, we'll, uh, we'll be doing good work. I agree. Chuck, thank you so much. And uh, congratulations on your new home. And let me know how the skiing goes tomorrow. And I'm going to give you some days where we can go out. Good. Love it. We'll make Thanks, it happen. Chuck. I hope you enjoyed this discussion that I had with Chuck. And I'm looking forward to having him be a regular guest on this podcast. He really has a lot of insight that is relevant to leadership, to building corporate culture, especially in this virtual environment, and also his work with business development organizations. And as we talked about, I'm looking forward to connecting with Chuck on his next project. I always am in awe of Chuck's ideas and his creativity. If you are interested in learning more about this episode, if you have an interest in connecting with Chuck, The Game of Work, Chuck Coonrad's multiple books, we will link all of that in the episode notes. Also, if you are interested in having the LSI team or the Game of Work team come into your organization and help build this kind of accountability leadership model, especially with your virtual organizations, please contact us. And as always, if you're interested in strategy, process, uh, training, capture, proposal development, program execution, economic development, or social impact. If you have a specific need that we can help you with, please reach out to us. We will have somebody connect with you quickly and address whatever needs you have. Uh, this was really fun. I really enjoyed this and I appreciate Chuck's time and giving his thoughts on some of these questions that I threw at him. Thanks everyone. And I look forward to our next episode.